Eddie Mayer on LBC. With Motorway, where dealers compete to give you the best price for your car. It's Friday, it's a quarter to five. It's Simon Marks's American Week. Eddie, it's that time of the year again. Super Bowl weekend in the United States. By tomorrow night, you won't be able to find a bag of crisps, a six-pack of beer, or a burger bun in the supermarket for love nor money. Once again, I pride myself on not even knowing which teams are playing, nor having any interest whatsoever in the multi-million dollar commercials that will accompany the big match. But we should, I think, all be interested in this year's pregame show. Omicron and the variant, all the variants, have had a profound impact on the psyche of the American people. President Biden speaking to Lester Holt of NBC, the Super Bowl network this weekend, that will show the full interview just ahead of the coin toss. But we've already seen highlights of their interaction. And in a week in which the United States again lost more than 18,000 lives to COVID-19, yes, another 18,000. It is remarkable that neither the president nor his interviewer ever seems to mention them. Instead, they have a chat about whether individual states run by Democrats and Republicans are moving too quickly now to scrap mask mandates and pretend the pandemic is over. The question is, with these governors making these moves, does it begin to make the government, the CDC, irrelevant that that people will gravitate toward you know, the advice that really fits their worldview, that this thing feels like it's over. Well, um, look, I think it's one thing to say, to talk about masks, other than to talk about shots and boosters and the like. Uh, and uh, But it's, you know, look, it is confusing. It's worrisome to people. Are you afraid, though, that some states and, and cities are moving too quickly to loosen indoor mask mandates? Well, you know, it's... Uh, I've... I committed that I would follow the science, the science as put forward by the CDC and the, and the, and the federal people. And uh, I think it's probably premature, but it's, you know, it's, it's a tough call. Premature, you say. He got there in the end, but it took a while because he knows the polls show the country wants America's storyline now to move on. There will be another 18,000 lives lost here next week as well, but they are also unlikely to get much of a mention as we hurtle towards the moment in April when the country will record its one millionth COVID-19 fatality. Also in that interview, President Biden addresses the issue of Ukraine. His message to American citizens there, get out while you can. American citizens should leave, should leave now. We're dealing with one of the largest armies in the world. This is a very different situation and things could go crazy quickly. So the president was pressed. What happens if things do go crazy quickly? But there are still Americans in Ukraine who then want to get out of the way of Vladimir Putin's marauding Russian army. Would the president order an Afghanistan-style airlift? What scenarios would you put American troops to rescue and get Americans out? There's not. That's a world war when Americans and Russians start shooting at one another. We're in a very different world than we've ever been in. Not even on behalf of simply evacuating Americans? No. How, how, how do you do that? How do you even find them? This is not like I'm hoping that if, in fact, he's foolish enough to go in, he's smart enough not to, in fact, do anything that would negatively impact on American citizens. But have, you, have you told him that? Yes. You've, you've told him to, that, that you know, Americans would be a line that they can't cross? 
Well, I, I didn't have to tell him that. He, I've, I've spoken about that. He knows that. So did he tell Putin or didn't he tell Putin? We're none the wiser. There is one other part of that interview that will come back to haunt President Biden, and it is about revelations this week contained in a U.S. Army investigation into last summer's botched withdrawal from Afghanistan. Interviews with top military officials paint a picture of a White House simply unwilling to listen to warnings about the rapidity with which the Taliban would seize power or the urgent need to plan large-scale evacuations from the country. Again, President Biden and NBC's Lester Holt. Does any of that ring true to you? No. No. That's not what I was told. That you were told that the U.S. administration officials were prepared, they knew it was time to get out? No. What I was told, no one told me that, look, there was no good time to get out. And there was no way we were ever going to unite Ukraine. I mean, excuse me, Iraq, Afghanistan. No way that was going to happen. I just want to clarify, are you rejecting the conclusions or the, the accounts that are in this army report? Yes, I am. So they're not, not true? I'm rejecting them. If Republicans retake control of Congress this November, the hearings they will unleash into Ukraine, I mean Iraq, I mean Afghanistan, will tie his administration up in knots for months. You can set your watch by it. At the White House earlier in the week, German Chancellor Olaf Scholz was in town for a roasting over Ukraine. Quite literally, they sat him in front of an Oval Office log fire of such intensity that it could probably be used in future experiments to create nuclear fusion. By the time the meetings were over, President Biden was once again darkly hinting at a cunning plan to prevent Russia's Nord Stream 2 pipeline from ever delivering energy supplies to Germany and the rest of Europe. If Russia invades, uh, that means tanks or troops crossing the, uh, the, the border of Ukraine again, then uh, there, will be, uh, we, there will be no longer... A Nord Stream 2. We, we will bring an end to it. But do, but how, will you, how will you do that exactly since the project and control of the project is within Germany's control? We will, uh, I promise you, we'll be able to do it. The German Chancellor, who is about as welcome in Washington as Liz Truss was this week in Moscow, does not like the idea of fresh sanctions on Nord Stream 2. Pressed relentlessly by German reporters at the White House, he couldn't even bring himself to articulate the pipeline's name, much less confirm that he is on board with shutting the project down if necessary. This was as far as he went. We will be united. We will act together. And we will take all the necessary steps and all the necessary steps will be done by all of us together. The promise of unity at some point in the future, even if it doesn't exist today. Which brings us to the Republican Party. Regular listeners will remember that last Friday we were focused on the control Donald Trump continues to exercise over it. And just hours later came a fresh example. It is moved to consider all five resolutions and to consider them as a whole 
Without objection, we will consider all five resolutions as a whole. Ronna McDaniel, the chair of the Republican National Committee, the party's governing body. Last Friday, in a meeting ripped from the pages of Franz Kafka, she presided over a vote to declare last January's deadly attack on Capitol Hill by Donald Trump's rioters to be an act of legitimate political discourse. And two Republicans, Liz Cheney of Wyoming and Adam Kinzinger of Illinois, became the first sitting members of Congress to be censured by their own party for supporting the investigation into the riot. This is how the vote went down. Hearing no further dis- discussion, um, is there any... What do I say? Is there any discussion? Okay, hearing no further discussion, we will move to a vote on adoption of the five resolutions as a whole. All of those in favor of the motion, please signify by saying Aye. Aye. All of those opposed signify by saying no. The ayes have it and the five resolutions are adopted. If that sounded positively Stalinist, so was the reaction from the young cadre of right-wing Republicans who now dominate the party in Congress. Madison Cawthorn of North Carolina is one of them, openly calling for Liz Cheney and Adam Kinzinger to be purged from the party for daring to challenge Donald Trump's right to lead it. Uh, I put a call out on my social media for all my patriotic friends here in Congress that we need to quickly and rapidly expelled them from the Republican Party. Um, it, this is just basically be a signal to the American people that, yes, we'll even hold people in our own party accountable, and this is what's to come when we take power in uh, the next cycle. A clear warning there of what's to come. People who pass these days for moderates, and there aren't many of them, expressed consternation. Mitch McConnell is the Republican leader in the Senate and engaged this week in heretical talk. It was a violent insurrection for the purpose of trying to prevent the peaceful transfer of power after a legitimately certified election. The issue is whether or not the RNC should be sort of singling out members of our party who may have different views from the majority. That's not the job of the RNC. While his party was busy flushing democracy down the toilet, we learnt this week that Donald Trump had treated some presidential records in a similar fashion. Now, we already knew that he wasn't much of a steward of documents that, by law, he is required to lodge with the National Archives. All presidential papers are not owned by the president personally, but by the American people. This week, the archives requested a legal investigation into how 15 boxes of documents including the letters exchanged by Donald Trump and North Korean strongman Kim Jong-un, had ended up at the president's resort in Mar-a-Lago. They had to send a truck down to go and collect them. Last month, the archives disclosed that many of Trump's papers were ripped into pieces by the president, then fished out of rubbish bins by his staff, who realised that Donald Trump's habit was breaking the law. This week, a new revelation. Maggie, we start with the toilet. Tell us what you learned. What we learned from a new book by Maggie Haberman, White House correspondent for the New York Times, is that President Trump also used to flush documents down the White House lav. Staff in the White House residence would periodically find the the toilet clogged. The engineer would have to come and, and fix it. And what the engineer would find would be wads of, you know, clumped up print, wet printed paper, um, you know, meaning it was not 
toilet paper. This was this was either notes or some other piece of paper that, you know, he they believe that he had thrown down the toilet. She spoke on CNN. The former president categorically denied the claim, but multiple news organizations have now matched Ms. Haberman's reporting. As wonderful as it is to dwell on Donald Trump and his Kazi, we must move on because this was also the week when the Republican Party actually found something to admire about Canada. Let me say the Canadian truckers are heroes. They are patriots and they are marching for your freedom and for my freedom. Senator Ted Cruz of Texas speaking on where else but Fox News and praising the thousands of protesters besieging Ottawa and now blockading the Ambassador Bridge that connects Ontario to Michigan in their bid to rid Canada of vaccine mandates and Prime Minister Justin Trudeau. Those truck drivers, that God bless them, they're defending Canada, but they're defending America as well. That is... That is courage on display, that the government doesn't have the right to force you to comply. The far right in America loves the Canadian truckers. Right-wing media here this week has afforded the protests non-stop news coverage. Millions of dollars have been pledged by Americans to support them. And now, to franchise their idea. A major highway in Alaska yesterday was blocked by truckers there, cheered on by supporters waving Trump banners and Make America Great Again signs. The Department of Homeland Security is warning police forces across the country of plans for an American version of of the Freedom Convoy to set off from Los Angeles and head to Washington, D.C. Its participants want to bring the U.S. Capitol to the same kind of standstill unleashed on Ottawa. Senator Rand Paul, libertarian Republican of Kentucky, took to Fox News to encourage it. Somebody's got to stand up, whether it's uh, putting your semi in the middle of a town and honking the horn or whatever, or whether it's parents going to a school board meeting. These people never let go of our freedoms or our children if we do not push back. That old steaming cauldron of outrage given a fresh, hefty stir. I was tempted to play myself out today with the classic song I Like Trucking from the old BBC show Not the Nine O'Clock News. If you are unfamiliar with it, you can find it on YouTube, thus saving me the risk of getting into any copyright trouble. Salvation for the end of this American week arrived in the form of our favourite Republican Congresswoman Marjorie Taylor Greene of Georgia. In every way, the Nadine Dorries of the Republican Party, except unlike Ms Dorries, she's got a gun. This week, she went into fulmination mode over the treatment of those people who participated in that legitimate political discourse, otherwise known as a deadly criminal riot, just over a year ago on Capitol Hill. Not only do we have the D.C. jail, which is the D.C. gulag, but now we have Nancy Pelosi's gazpacho police spying on members of Congress, spying on the legislative work that we do, spying on our staff, and spying on American citizens that want to come talk to their representatives. The gazpacho police, so easy to confuse with the Nazi Gestapo, only a touch more flavorful. Heavier on the bouquet garni, lighter on the murderous outrage. Like her breathtaking ignorance, gazpacho is a dish best served cold. Eddie, one thing is incontrovertible. America is in the soup. Simon Marks' American Week, back next Friday at a quarter to five.
This is LBC. I'm Eddie Mayer.